welcome to Bible Fellowship Assembly Sunday Morning Messages. Today, Jim Melnick continues our series on Lessons from Life Stories, looking at the life of Solomon. And now, here's Jim. Good morning, everybody. This morning, I want to speak about wisdom. Not the wisdom of the world. Not the kind of wisdom that says pulverized peas can be hamburgers or almonds can be milk. I mean, where's the wisdom in that? Or the wisdom that says better to keep your mouth shut and have people think you are wise than to open it and prove otherwise. There's truth in those words, but that's not the wisdom I'll be focusing on this morning. This morning, we'll look at a wisdom that doesn't come with a money-back guarantee against sinning. We'll look at wisdom that came from the wisest man who ever lived. We'll be looking at Solomon, his life, his wisdom, his mistakes, and what can we learn from him. Now, Solomon covers a lot of real estate in the Bible. Not only is his life intertwined with several books in the Old Testament, but there are books credited to him as being the author. Much of the book of Proverbs comes from the wisdom of Solomon. Song of Songs, or Song of Solomon as it's also called, was written by him. And the book of Ecclesiastes is believed by most scholars to have been written by Solomon. Now, I did have in mind to prepare a sermon on the Song of Solomon, but what little wisdom I possess kicked in, and I decided to let somebody else tackle that one. So let's take a look at the life of Solomon. The last three weeks, we've seen King David playing a role in the character studies that we've been looking at, playing a very predominant role. Nathan, Jonathan, Absalom, and today Solomon are all intertwined with David. The story of David and Solomon is interspersed over several books in the Old Testament. 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 1 Chronicles all contain the family story of David and his son Solomon. Now the story of Solomon starts in 2 Samuel chapter 12 verses 24 and 25 which reads, Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba, and he went to her and lay with her. She gave birth to a son, and they named him Solomon. The Lord loved him, and because the Lord loved him, he sent word through Nathan the prophet to name him Jedidiah. Jedidiah means loved by the Lord. Now, King David, his father, had in mind to build a temple for God, because up to now the Ark of the Covenant had remained in a tent. But God made it very clear to David that the the task of building a permanent temple for God would fall to David's son, whom God would establish on the throne of Israel. David was a man of the sword, he was a man of war, and God did not want a man of the sword to build his temple. But we can see in 1 Chronicles chapter 28, verses 5 and 6, that um, David knew what was going to happen, and he expressed it quite nicely. This is David speaking, Of all my sons, and the Lord has given me many, he has chosen my son Solomon to sit on the throne of the kingdom of the Lord over Israel. He has said to me, Solomon, your son, is the one who will build my house and my courts. For I have chosen him to be my son, and I will be his father. It's interesting that although God told David he was not the one who would build the temple, God did give the plans for the temple to David through his spirit. And David passed those plans on to Solomon. Now Solomon's journey to succeeding his father David was not without drama. Another son of David, Adonijah, tried to install himself as Israel's next king, but Solomon's mother Bathsheba and Nathan the prophet intervened to prevent that from happening. 
Besides the story of father and son being recorded in the Bible, a common theme emerges within the story. Both God and David, over and over, stated and emphasized that if David's successor Solomon does as his father David did, that is, follow God, then all will go well. We can see that in 1 Kings chapter 2, starting at verse 1. When the time drew near for David to die, he gave a charge to Solomon his son. I am about to go the way of all the earth, he said. So be strong, show yourself a man, and observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in his ways and keep his decrees and commands, his laws and requirements as written in the law of Moses, so that you may prosper in all you do and wherever you go. And that the Lord may keep his promise to me, if your descendants watch how they live, and if they walk faithfully before me with all their heart and soul, you will never fail to have a man on the throne of Israel. It's at this point that David fades from the picture and Solomon reigns, Solomon's reign begins. And with it, the greatest time of prosperity in Israel's history and also the beginning of Israel's demise. For it was under David's reign and then Solomon's reign that Israel saw its golden age as a nation. Solomon took what his father David had built through God's leading, and with God's continued intervention, Solomon led Israel into its greatest prosperity. Solomon's reign lasted over Israel for 40 years, and during that time the physical size of the country was about three times larger than the nation of Israel is today. When Solomon began his reign, he had some cleaning up to do. Adonijah was still trying the backdoor approach to take the leadership of Israel away from Solomon and others who had conspired against him had to be dealt with. Solomon showed some early wisdom as well as ruthlessness, even in the early days of his leadership. The first 11 chapters of 1 Kings is dedicated to the history of Solomon's leadership. In the wisdom of his early days as leader, Solomon recognized his limitations, which is the downfall of many leaders throughout history. Many leaders are not willing to admit their weaknesses. But Solomon realized his lack of wisdom. And when God approached him in a dream one night and said, ask for whatever you want me to give you, Solomon responded, and his response is recorded in 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 7 to 9. Now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David. But I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the peoples you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? Well, God answered his request, and we can continue reading in First Kings chapter 3. The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, since you have asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have you asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment in administering justice. I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart, so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both riches and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in my ways and obey my statutes and commands as David your father did, I will give you a long life. Did you catch that last part? And if you walk in my ways and obey my statutes and commands as David your father did. Remember this because this is key to the message today. So there you have it. 
Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived. There was no one greater in wisdom before him, and as God prophesied, there would be no one greater in wisdom after him. We all know the story of whose baby is it? The story of how Solomon displayed the wisdom God gave him when two women came to him, each claiming to be a certain baby's mother. The depth of Solomon's wisdom and knowledge is expressed in 1 Kings chapter 4, verses 29 to 34, which reads, God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight and a breadth of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashore. Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all the men of the East, and greater than all the wisdom of Egypt. He was wiser than any other man, including Etha the Ezraite, wiser than Heman, Calcol, and Darda, the sons of Mahol. And his fame spread to all the surrounding nations. He spoke three thousand proverbs, and his songs numbered a thousand and five. He described plant life, from the cedar of Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the walls. He also taught about animals and birds, reptiles and fish. Men of all nations came to listen to Solomon's wisdom, sent by all the kings of the world who had heard of his wisdom. And true to God's word, not only did God make Solomon wise, but he also made Solomon the wealthiest king within the known world. Just as an example, the weight of the gold that Solomon received each year was 23 metric tons. Plus there was all the other wealth from the other sources of revenue that was at Solomon's disposal. The temple that Solomon built for God took seven years to build. Just to give you an idea of the beauty of the temple, the inner sanctuary was a cube measuring 30 feet on all sides. That's 30 feet wide, 30 feet long, 30 feet tall. That's the footprint of a small house, three stories high. And in the description in 1 Kings, it states that the inside of the inner sanctuary was overlaid with pure gold. And the furnishings were also overlaid with pure gold. As well, other parts of the temple and its furnishings were also covered with pure gold. That must have been such a sight to behold. And that's just the description of the temple. It took Solomon seven years to build the temple, but it took him 13 years to build his palace. And when the temple was done, Solomon dedicated the temple. And to that dedication, he sacrificed to God 22,000 cattle and 120,000 sheep and goats. Solomon also gave a prayer of dedication for the temple. And it's one of the longest prayers recorded in the Bible. And it's an excellent example of the wisdom that he possessed. In fact, it's a prayer that I long to hear from the leaders of our country. A prayer of thanksgiving and a prayer of supplication, humbly asking for God's forgiveness when Israel as a nation sins and then comes back to God in repentance. Solomon, in his wisdom, recognized that all sin. And here in an excerpt from his prayer of dedication in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 46, we see his recognition of this when he says, When they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin, and you become angry with them and give them over to their enemy. In that statement, Solomon recognized the sinfulness of mankind. And Solomon then went on to pray, asking God to forgive them and have mercy on them when, he, when they come to him with a repentant heart. These were the golden years for Solomon and Israel. But if the story ended there, then the subtitle of today's message when wisdom is not enough, would make no sense. Now, the first ten chapters of 1 Kings speaks of Solomon's splendor. The eleventh chapter 
describes Solomon's turning from God and the beginning of Israel's downward spiral. Do you remember earlier when I read of David's warning for his son to follow God's command? And when God gave Solomon wisdom and wealth, he also warned Solomon to obey his statutes and commands as his father David did. This is a warning that was repeated to Solomon over and over. In fact, after Solomon dedicated the temple to God, God appeared to Solomon again in a dream, as he had before, and he said in 1 Kings chapter 9, As for you, if you walk before me in integrity of heart and uprightness, as David your father did, and do all I command and observe my decrees and laws, I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever, as I promised David your father when I said, You shall never fail to have a man on the throne of Israel. Well, right after that came the warning if Solomon or his sons failed to do what God had just commanded him to do. And we can continue reading in chapter 9, starting at verse 6. But if you or your sons turn away from me and do not observe the commands and decrees I have given you and go off and serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel from the land I have given them and will reject the temple I have consecrated for my name. Israel will then become a byword and an object of ridicule among all peoples. And though this temple is now imposing, all who pass by will be appalled and will scoff and say, Why has the Lord done such things to this land and to this temple? People will answer, Because they have forsaken the Lord their God, who brought their fathers out of Egypt, and have embraced other gods, worshipping and serving them. That is why the Lord brought all this disaster on them. Chapter 11 of 1 Kings describes this very thing happening. One of Solomon's first wives, as described at the beginning of 1 Kings, was a daughter of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. This was a marriage of political alliance. It's bad enough that in marrying Pharaoh's daughter, Solomon broke the command God gave not to marry a woman from outside of Israel, lest he be drawn away from God and follow the gods of other nations. It was, it was bad enough that he did it with one. But Solomon didn't stop at just one outside marriage. He also married Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women. The Bible says in all, Solomon had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. And the Bible also says in chapter 11 of 1 Kings, As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Never again did Israel see such glory as it did in those early days of Solomon's reign. Israel had its moments when a king would turn the country back to God, but civil war and invasion from neighboring countries decimated the nation of Israel. Which brings us back to the subtitle of today's message, When Wisdom is Not Enough. Having wisdom did not pre prevent Solomon from sinning. If the wisdom of the wisest man who ever lived could not stop Solomon from sinning, what chance do we have? None at all, I would argue. Solomon, in his dedication to the temple, recognized that all sin against God. As well as in the New Testament, Paul reaffirmed the fact when he said in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all sin and fall short of God's standard. Solomon's father David sinned, and so did Solomon. 
David sinned big time, and in fact, it was through David's adultery with Bathsheba and murder of Bathsheba's husband that she became David's wife. Solomon would not have been born if it were not for David's sin. Does that mean that it was good or it was okay for David to sin? No, not at all. Absolutely not. God worked through David in spite of David's sin, not because of it. David's sin came with great consequences. David's sin was nothing for him to be proud of, and that fact was borne out in David's repentance. David was genuinely sorry for how he sinned against God. Even though David sinned, God still held him in high enough esteem to hold him up as an example for Solomon to follow when God said, as for you, if you walk before me in integrity of heart and uprightness as David your father did. Well, what about Solomon? Was he repentant the way his father David was? Even with his sin, did God hold him in high enough esteem to use Solomon as an example for others to follow? It gets a little murky here in answering that question. First Kings chapter 11 ends with the description of Solomon's death with the statement that, as for the other events of Solomon's reign, all he did and the wisdom he displayed, are they not written in the book of the annals of Solomon? We don't have access to that book the way the people would have had for whom First Kings was written for. We don't know all that there was recorded about Solomon's life. At the very least, though, I believe Solomon recognized his downfall and his sin. He recognized that wisdom itself is not a guarantee of joy or contentment. In Ecclesiastes, Solomon states in Ecclesiastes 1, chapter 16, sorry, chapter 1, verse 16 to 18, I thought to myself, look, I have grown and increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I had experienced much wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly. But I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. And in chapter 2 of Ecclesiastes, For the wise men, like the fool, will not long be remembered. In days to come, both will be forgotten. Like the fool... The wise men too must die. Kind of makes you wonder if wisdom is such a good thing. If wisdom is all it's cracked up to be. Solomon didn't start off thinking this way. In fact, in Proverbs, the first four chapters are dedicated to Solomon bestowing the value and desirousness of obtaining wisdom. Proverbs 3 verses 13 to 18 reads, Blessed is the man who finds wisdom, the man who gains understanding, for she is more profitable than silver and yields better return than gold. She is more precious than rubies, nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand, and in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who embrace her. Those who lay hold of her will be blessed. Those first four chapters are filled with the poetic beauty of wisdom. When you read these verses, who wouldn't want wisdom? Well, what changed for Solomon? What caused him to go from expounding the virtues of wisdom in Proverbs to lamenting being wise and phrasing wisdom as being meaningless in Ecclesiastes? Solomon may have come to a point of believing the quest for wisdom is meaningless, 
but he still believed, even in Ecclesiastes, that there is value in wisdom. Solomon didn't come to despise wisdom, nor did he despair of being wise, but wisdom did not keep him from being disheartened. As it states in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 13 to 17, where Solomon says, I saw that wisdom is better than folly, just as light is better than darkness. The wise man has eyes in his head, while the fool walks in the darkness. But I came to realize that the same fate overtakes them both. Then I thought in my heart, the fate of the fool will overtake me also. What then do I gain by being wise? I said in my heart, this too is meaningless. For the wise man, like the fool, will not long be remembered. In days to come, both will be forgotten. Like the fool, the wise man too must die. So I hated life, because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Solomon had everything the world counts as profitable. He had wisdom. He was the king. He was the king of the wealthiest nation on earth. Others came from all over to hear his wisdom and give him treasures and honor. In the beginning of Solomon's reign, I believe he was joyful. But at some point he allowed himself to be drawn away from God. And that's where it all started to unravel. Here is the key to unlocking the door that led to Solomon's fall. When Solomon was drawn away from God to worship the false gods of his foreign wives, then the beauty of wisdom, as he described in Proverbs, started to become the meaningless of wisdom, as he described in Ecclesiastes. It's thought that Ecclesiastes was written in the later years of Solomon's reign. Wisdom did not keep Solomon from sinning, and sin, as we know, is what separates us from God. Just because we know what is right, doesn't mean that we will do what is right. Temptation is a powerful weapon and Satan knows how to use it. The world is no different today. A person can have all that the world says is desirable and in the end count it all as meaningless. It's often when a person looks back on his or her life that they start to lament and say that at this point, what's the point of it all? When I die, all that I have, all that I worked for will just go to somebody else. When we die, a person may be remembered by a generation or two within his or her family. But it's an extremely small percentage of people who are remembered beyond that. And what is remembered about those who go down in history is only a brief account of some of the things they did and very little of who they really were. Even Solomon, who was the wisest man who ever lived, has not that much recorded about him in the Bible. Less than 35,000 words in the Bible about a man who lived for about 60 years on earth. You could probably read about him in a couple of hours. It's not very much about a man in which the Bible explicitly says God loved and whom God counted as his son. Things could have turned out so differently for Solomon. If only he had not been drawn away from God to chase after false gods. He can't blame his wives. In the end, Solomon made the decision to abandon God. We're not told how Solomon's life ended, only that at the end of 1 Kings chapter 11, it states, Then he rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of David with his father, and Rehoboam his son succeeded him as king. I don't know if he repented of what he did, of what his heavenly father God and his earthly father David warned him not to do. God, through his son, Jesus Christ, at the very least, 
recognized Solomon when he said in Matthew chapter 12, verse, verse 42, The queen of the south will rise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom. And now one greater than Solomon is here. Now, while we don't have a record of Solomon's repenting, as his father David did when Nathan the prophet confronted him about his adulterous relationship with Bathsheba, I believe there is a real probability that Solomon was at least on that path when you read the last two verses of Ecclesiastes, which says, Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Well, what can we learn from all that we do know about Solomon and his life? In a sentence, wisdom does not guarantee you won't sin. It merely informs you when you do. Wisdom is not that difficult to understand. And I think we can all agree that wisdom is something that we should all be desirous of obtaining. As Solomon put it, she is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. In other words, wisdom is worth more than any treasure you can find on this earth. And if you follow the right wisdom, she will not lead you astray. That's the challenge. Wisdom comes in many forms and many disguises. That's because foolishness can come disguised as wisdom. I will say to you that wisdom apart from God is foolishness in disguise. It's like pulverized peas masquerading as hamburgers. It might look like a hamburger, and it might even taste just okay, but it can never have the flavor and satisfaction of the real thing. All the flavor from that plant-based burger comes from spices and artificial flavor, not from ground beef, not from the real thing. In the same way, foolishness can disguise herself to look and even taste like wisdom, but in the end you will find her most unsatisfying. Now, I know I'm picking on the plant-based meat industry a bit, but the foolishness of the world kind of lends itself to it. Can plants ever be meat? Or for that matter, can ground beef ever be a salad? I think not, and so goes the foolishness of the world. Just as Jesus proclaimed in Mark, What does it profit someone to gain the whole world only to forfeit their soul? People are perishing in eternity because they chase the foolishness of this world. There is a wisdom that we have not talked about, a wisdom that is so profound and deep that it cannot be challenged, although many have tried. That wisdom is God's wisdom. Romans 11.33-36 describes it beautifully. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Even the wisdom that God gave to Solomon could not compare to the wisdom that God possesses. What God gave to Solomon would have only been a small fraction, a tiny fraction of the wisdom that God has. Even Job, in all of his troubles and trials, knew the wisdom of God when he said in Job chapter 12, verse 13, To God belong wisdom and power, counsel and understanding are his. 
These are just a couple of verses in the Bible proclaiming God's wisdom. There are many, many more than that. And if we are to follow any wisdom, if we are to proclaim any wisdom ourselves, let it be the wisdom of God. The one who has the power to judge and the power to forgive. The power to condemn and the power to grant mercy. The power to shine grace upon those who deserve no such favor. And most importantly, the wisdom know how to accomplish all of this. There is no earthly wisdom that can grant mankind eternal salvation. Only God's wisdom can do that. And not only eternal rewards, but also peace and contentment in this lifetime awaits for those who put their trust in God's wisdom. I'm not going to end with the wisdom of the wisest man who ever lived. And I'm certainly not going to ask, or I'm not going to end with the wisdom of myself. It's just not there. I mean, I've tried looking for a book titled Wisdom for Dummies, but I just can't find one. But instead, I'm going to end with the wisdom of someone who lived his faith. October 28, 1949, marks a special day in Christian history. Not because any revolutionary nailed a paradigm-shifting document to a door, not because a famous evangelist was born, but rather because a young man with a deep affection for God scribbled some simple words in his journal that are now some of the most often quoted Christian words not found in the Holy Scriptures. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. That, of course, is a quote from Jim Elliot, a man who lived and gave his life so that others may know God, may know his love, and may know his wisdom. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this opportunity that we have to study these characters in your Bible, to find out about them, about their lives, who they were, even just a little bit that we can understand, that we can understand their actions their misactions, their sin, their repentance, that we can apply all that learning to our lives. That we can, from your book, your Bible, gain wisdom to apply to our lives. Lord, let us do more than just gain wisdom. Let us live wisdom. Let wisdom be a part of our lives, that it would guide us, lead us, that it would be our counselor. Lord, you are the one who created wisdom. From you, all wisdom brings forth, brings forth life, brings forth contentment, brings forth judgment and punishment. Lord, let our wisdom always be rooted in you. May we proclaim that wisdom to the world in a way that the world desires it, that the world desires to have that wisdom above all other treasure. Lord, thank you for this opportunity today that we could gather through technology at this time. Thank us that we can study your word together this way. Open it, read it, learn from it, and apply it to our lives. Be with us for this week as we go about our own daily activities, and may we be found back together again next Sunday in your presence, in your grace, and in your pleasure. And I pray for these things in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening. Come back next week for the next Sunday morning message from Bible Fellowship Assembly. Visit us on the web at bfa.church, where you will find our physical address and contact information. 
We'd love to see you if you're in the Timmins area. Or drop us a line at info at bfa.church. Until next time.